Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, Mr. David Bugle, and from thebigkickoff.com, it's a debut for Neil Dobbs. Well, there's only one topic to start this week, and it's the handball rule that every football player, manager, coach, and football lover, well, they're just pulling their hair out with frustration. Neil, even Steve Bruce, whose Newcastle United team benefited from an Andy Carroll header, onto the back of Eric Dyer's hand and gained a penalty and in turn gained a point in the final moments of the game for his team, blasted the rule and stated that football has lost the plot. It's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Very hard to disagree, yeah. I think uh, that was probably the best example over the weekend, the one where it was headed onto his hand. He wasn't even looking at where it was being headed. It was kind of had his back to play. Um, completely accidental. Dyer didn't know where he was standing at the time. And uh, yeah, big pity to see, uh, to throw away a point or two points in that scenario. Very, very hard to take. Yeah, Dave, the winner for Everton against Crystal Palace, which was a penalty for a handball by Ward after the ball was headed onto his hand again from close range, was ludicrous. And I'm not a supporter of Crystal Palace or of Tottenham, but these decisions are are making me angry and frustrated. So what's it doing to the supporters of these teams? Yeah, absolutely. But the only thing I want to say first is, because between Twitter and Facebook, let's get one thing straight. Football's not dead. Football's not going to die. You know, people that are literally clamoring that football is over. Cop on and move on. This is silly. This is stupid. We'll we'll hopefully get, get out of this mess soon enough. But... Let's everyone just calm down for a while and say, football's not dead and I'm finished with it because you're not, you're a lawyer. Um, listen, Hodgson was very quiet last week when he when he got robbed, when he got gifted a penalty in Old Trafford. But uh, he has a problem with it this week. He never mentioned that in his rant uh, on Saturday, um, which was convenient. Ronnie Whelan put up an interesting one today and uh, an interesting tweet. And I have to say, I kind of agree with him. He says, players and managers should stop talking about penalties for handball after the game because each and every one of them pleads that it was a handball during the game. To be honest, I say, if you look back on some of them, I say every single one of them will put their hands up and say it was a handball. I do agree. Now, the law is ridiculous. It's nothing to do with fire for a change, which is great. But it is a ridiculous law. It's to, allegedly, the Premier League didn't really follow it last year. They're kind of towing the line with the rest of you in relation to this handball rule. Where last year, Syria had 57 penalties. La Liga had 48. Uh, Premier League last year only had 19 penalties in relation to it because obviously they didn't follow it within within the letters of the law, but obviously they're catching up on that quite rapidly and will overtake 19 penalties very quick. Germany did it two years previously and they've seen a massive spike and then last year only had 22. And it was a mixture of referees being more used to it and then players adapting slightly. But unfortunately, we're just at the epicenter of it being so frustrating for the Premier League. But... Uh, it's ridiculous. I don't know how, how or how, how fast they'll turn it round. But football's not dead yet. But we all, I think it's all safe to say it's, it's, it's a silly rule. It leaves it too open for grey. Um, and referees are different their opinion in some of the decisions. And VAR is making it worse in the sense that referees are kind of justifying what they've said, what they've done, or whatever. So it's one of these where it's hard to blame referees, it's hard to blame VAR, but it's just. Well then, I, 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 is it IFAB or IFAB? Maybe they need to to stand up and be be uh, be counted in relation to, to this rule because for the last two weeks it's been absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So are, are you are you in, in agreement that it's it's not needed in the game, or are you saying that people should just get used to it and it'll iron itself out? Oh 
no, I'm, I'm a believer that this route won't stick around for long because it is getting busy. But what I'm saying is, relax. It's not necessarily the Premier League's fault this time. It's not necessarily referee's fault this time. It's not really Barrett's fault. It's a, it's a lot that they have been told to enforce. Um, and it's been around in the league last year. I'm not saying it's gonna, it's here to stay and get used to it, but I'm just, it, it is ridiculous. There have been games this week that have unfortunately, um, people have dropped points or, or lost games because of it. Um, I'm not saying it's, it, I'd like to think, they, 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 unfortunately they walk in quicksand, but I'd like to think the Premier League has a slightly higher standing across the world that maybe they might kind of meet a bit earlier and say, right, do we need to, do we need to have a look at this? Because it is a bit silly how crazy some of these decisions are going. I think Barr, unfortunately, is making it harder for the refs to make the decision because obviously it's, you can see that they're clearing obvious handballs and then the referees are torn, but they're following the letter of the law. Um, I'm not saying I agree with them, but that's unfortunately where they are at the moment. So I'm not saying let's sit and grin and bear it because I'd be pissed off when it goes against me if I was a Liverpool fan, but... I just hope they might be progressive and, and for a change, but that unfortunately hasn't been the case uh, over the last few years when they make certain changes to the rules. Yeah, and just pick, picking up on what you were saying about Italy having more penalties and uh, La Liga, like they, yeah. like Serie A had fifty-seven and La Liga forty-eight. Was uh, Premier League only had nineteen. Yeah, so but they, had, they were following the last slightly different at the time. So what is why why is football changing in different countries? Why isn't the rules of football the same in every country around the world? That was supposed to be the beauty of football, wasn't it? Well, the Premier League kind of did their own thing to an to an extent, I suppose, last year, and there is probably trial events or trial kind of like fire isn't necessarily in every country either. That doesn't mean it has to be. Like obviously, we don't have it here in our country. So I'd say it, it was one of them where FIFA came, came came in and said, "Right, we all need to be on the same page on this because we're in international competitions." So I'd say that's where it's coming from. But some of these laws do come in in certain leagues as a trial and then see how it goes. But I'd say in this instance, obviously FIFA stepped in this year and said, "Right, we all need to follow the same, the same, uh, the same laws of the game." Yeah, Neil. What was wrong with the original rule where a referee felt it was if it was a deliberate handball it'd be given as a penalty and if it was an accident it wouldn't? I, I can't remember clubs screaming out for the need to change this rule. So why do you think IFAB felt for a need to tamper with? I think Dave's in the name of the head I think this is definitely a FIFA directive and I think it comes from the kind of cream of the crop which will be the Champions League and it's filtered down now into all the individual leagues. As you say, the Premier League were playing catch-up on this because, as Dave was saying, the other countries were actually employing this method already. But the Champions League is where the bread and butter is, where the big money is, and they want it to be a standard. And I think this is where it originally came from. Now, why they've decided to change it, I've absolutely no idea. Because I don't think there was, even last year, there wasn't that much controversy around handballs or non-handballs. We, we, we stuck to the old method of it. Oh, I'm but, not um, sure about yeah, that, Neil. Do you not remember winning the Champions League final? Well, do you know what? It's funny you say that because I was going to say the one notable one of the yep. year was the Suzuko handball, yeah. Which you can't, again, at the time, uh, wearing your red uh, hat, you were going, yeah, penalty. And if you're wearing your white hat, you must have been pulling your hair out because it was a pretty incredible decision at the time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm very and surprised that they still pushed on with it. I, I, you know, and I think, again, going back to what they saying there, I don't think that this is actually, I don't think it's going to change. As in, I don't think it's got, you know, with Roy Hodgson, I don't care who comes out and uh, throws their way behind it. 
you know, everyone was giving about the offside last year on the VAR and, you know, a millimetre on your shoulder and your line and all the rest. And, you know, that didn't go away and I don't see this going away. I don't know what the solution will be. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they brought it in last year. The rule kind of came in last year and they've kind of tweaked it a bit this year and, and it just seems to be making it more and more unclear. And with VAR the way it is as well, VAR slightly working better this year, but it's still uh, a disaster. They're bringing in more and more rules that are, are are destroying the game really because games are getting stopped for four, five, six minutes at a time. And and it's just ruining the game. Let the game flow and and and, and let us enjoy it the way it was. I was quite happy with the referee refereeing uh, decisions when there was handballs and not most of the time, seven, eight, nine times out of ten they were getting them right. So you can't get them right all the time, and it just shows you technology isn't always the answer. Um, and I don't believe it is here in this situation either. The next IFAB meeting, I believe, is in. March 2021, that's surely too far away to clarify this. There is a shareholders meeting in October, which is sure to be top of the, the list of discussions, but whether they can change it or not is another thing. So, yeah, there could be a, it's just as well there's no crowds, I'd say. Probably, that's probably the best uh, thing we can say about it, because there'll be riots, I think, at some of these games. Uh, and the referees are probably getting away with murder here, uh, because I, I was looking at the referee in the Crystal Palace game walking off the pitch, and I think I think it would have been a very hostile situation for him walking down the tunnel, which is a very close uh, tunnel to the to the stands. So uh, we'll move on. Chelsea continued their hot and cold form at the weekend with a three-three draw against West Brom. And after being three 0 down at half time, Frank Lampard's team showed a bit of bottle to claw their way back to pick up a point. Neil, with a few new faces in the team, it may take a little bit of time to gel and Frank Lampard's honeymoon period is definitely over now well last year he was getting a bit of slack cut because of the circumstances around transfer window and Hazard leaving now with the money spent in this team surely the pressure is going to pile on if his form doesn't pick up soon what do you reckon? Yeah I, I think Frank Lampard now it's time for him to put the big boy pants on right he got away with murder last year Rightly so, maybe, in the first six months. But as soon as they kind of position themselves in a better position in the league, they they struggle to kind of live up to expectation. And I think that's going to be his problem now, is that he's gone from practically zero expectation last year, loads of time, loads of youth, you know, all the acronyms people throw out there. And now all of a sudden he's in a circumstance where he has to deliver. Like, Roman Abramovich doesn't put up with second best in this regard. I mean... The last time he splashed cash this big was when Mourinho was there and they rebuilt their whole back line. They rebuilt, you know, they bought in Aaron Robin, they bought in Drogba. Top, top dollar for players. And he's done exactly the same this time. He is back Lampard to the hilt. Now, that said, it is early this year. What I think his biggest problem is finding where these pieces of the puzzle fit, what the best formation is. Havertz is a, a prime example where he might play as a 10, where Chelsea hasn't been playing with a 10 in the last season at least um, you know I, I, even Werner playing Werner through the middle as a main striker I watched a lot of Leipzig last year and he played maybe wide left a lot um, which might find a better solution for him in a 4-3-3 for example but uh, yeah he's definitely struggling to find his best 11 and I wonder you know this is looking ahead will Lampard be able to make the big decisions be able to get the respect and the uh, the consistency needed to gel them players into a proper 11. 
the point that I have here, uh, David, was there's a, a sign of doubt in Frank Lampard's mind. When you see Werner playing on the left-hand side this week where he was sent to forward the week before, does he know what his best eleven is? Does he know who fits in where? When you're building a team and you're buying players in, surely you should have a vision of where these players are going to play. Oh, true, without a doubt. But, you know, I suppose they, they weren't all ready to go from the first game. Um, and, for example, Marcus Alonso, uh, the story's coming out today. Um, he was taken off at halftime, as we know. Obviously, Ben Chilwell was brought in for a hell of a lot of money at 50 million. He went and had a shower and then went to the bus to watch the rest of the game. And by all accounts, apparently Lampard showed, uh, brought him in and made an example of him in front of the, in front of the rest of the team. And there's certain quotes coming out today that they've never seen that side of Frank Lampard. So is it frustration? Is it pressure? Who's to say? But maybe he's frustrated at the, the early signs of his side. Or maybe he's frustrated at himself, to be honest. Because, you know... Every team is a little different. Tammy Abram came in, obviously he's got himself a couple of goals, uh, as, as Neil pointed out. Um, Werner went out onto the left, Mount went out to the right, so he's kind of technically the odd man out in this one because Havertz was to play in that kind of number 10 role behind him. So as much as he's trying to fit in your Havertz and Werner, somebody seems to suffer. Now, Mount had a decent game, but he seems to be more effective in the middle. So... He probably has about 13 or 14 he wants to play in an 11, which obviously we know that that doesn't work. So it'll be interesting to see, and obviously um, it'll be interesting to see if there's more stories coming out about, uh, as I said, Lampard kind of uh, putting Alonso in his place for hitting the bus uh, instead of coming back into the into the, into the the stands to watch the second half of the game. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, week or two to see how Chelsea uh, fare out in the next one. OK, let's break it up with a bit of transfer news. Dave, Ruben Diaz to City. Yeah. Before I go into him, because there's a lot of people all of a sudden who think who seem to know a hell of a lot about him, even though they've never mentioned him before. Um, I'm sure the, the red half of Manchester might say, listen, we bought a centre-half in Benfica as well, so calm down. Let's, let's wait until you get him over here and, and see what he's all about. Um, Ruben Diaz, 60-odd million, massive money, came through the ranks at Benfica, a la Ederson and Bernardo Silva. Allegedly, and, and I mean it allegedly because I haven't watched a lot of Portuguese football and Benfica obviously were knocked out in the in the knockout stages or the playoff stages of the Champions League already this season. So I really haven't seen much of them. But by all accounts, a ball playing centre half. But to be honest, he spent over 400 million on centre half, and there's very little to show for at the moment. And you could uh, you could argue Laporte, but God love me, pulling up injuries left, right, centre at his own after joining. So. I would definitely hold back uh, judgment on this because he brought in a hell of a lot of centre-halves over the last four or five years. But there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork in the last day or two to say this guy is amazing. So let's hope they're right for Man City's sake. If not, you know, Man United say, I told you so. We bought one as well and we all know what, what he's like because he's a starting and he's starting 11 at the moment. But everyone would love to get rid of him. So, yeah, I don't know much about him. But it's, he's the, the, the next in a long list, 400 million of centre-halves. Um, crazy stuff, but uh, let's see. Let's see what he's about. Yeah, Neil, 
Koulibaly has been, I suppose, on everyone's lips all the time for maybe a Manchester City or Manchester United or Chelsea move. What do you make of this one, Diaz, Koulibaly? Is there a shortage of good centre-halves around? Yeah, I, I think this is the, the nail on the head here is that, I mean, if I was to ask you outside of Virgil van Dijk, Koulibaly, older heads the likes of Ramos, Varane for Madrid, you know, there's guys that kind of stick out as the stalwart proper centre-halves, which to be fair, the best centre-halves seem to get better in their late 20s. It's just that type of position where, you know, they're, they're, they're reading the game better, they're becoming more confident, they're bossing games, they're dominating their teams and whatnot. But, um, after that, there's a real drop-off in what you would call a class-slash-world-class centre-half. So if I was to give you £100 million tomorrow for Man United and say, OK, find a partner for Maguire, it isn't as simple as going, that's the guy. I think we're actually we're in an era now almost where we're demands on the centre-halves are more, and City are a prime example of this. They don't just want a specific type of centre-half. It has to be a ball-playing you know, part of the team, comfortable under pressure, dropping deep. There's there's a load of different things that a Pep Guardiola centre half needs to have compared to say an Arsenal centre half or a Chelsea centre half even. Um, and I think this is where they struggle at Man City, where they look brilliant at at, at times. Like Ottomendi was brilliant in Spain. He came over to England and just looked totally out of water. You have to be able to deal with this physical uh, centre forwards that they're going to throw at you. You have to be able to deal with the Jamie Vardy's. You have to, you know, there's a different string to your bow that you have to deal with in the Premier League. And I just don't think there's a massive amount of them out there that are perfect fits, and especially a perfect fit for City. It just doesn't matter who they seem to get, be it the expectation or be it the demands that he puts on them. They just seem to struggle. And uh, if I was to ask you who's the best young centre half out there that you might think you would put in that, would it have been Nathan Ake last year? And I don't think it would have been him either, you know? So I, I think there's a massive weight on anyone's shoulders that goes into the City backline. The likes of Kula Bali is an absolute perfect example of someone that would fit into anyone's team. But whatever it is with Napoli, the issues with dealing with them transfer-wise, etc., nobody is going to land him. And now the president has come out again and said, look, no one will give us whatever the 80 million. He's staying where he is. So I don't see him moving. Um, yeah, I, I I wasn't the biggest fan of Koulibaly anyhow, so I I, I just I can't see. I don't think he's great on the ball. I, he's he's a good big lump of a lad, but I don't think he's the answer. I don't know much about Diaz, and when you look at last year, I think it was they were trying to get Johnny Evans, Manchester City. Maybe Dave, that was the one to go for. Yeah, as 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 Neil was talking there, like that, I was trying to come up with one or two answers myself. But to be honest, I wasn't really coming up with exact names. But I was like, well, why not look at closer to home for a start? I.e., in the Premier League, and pick up a couple of guys who are the best of the rest. Like everyone, like I know you just mentioned Jody Evans, but what's what's the harm in going after the likes of maybe Tarkovsky and a few of these others? Because what's the harm? Because Koulibaly, I don't, I think he would fit into the mold of. A bit like what uh, what Neil said there, just probably wouldn't suit the Premier League uh, the way Mendy and the likes have. So maybe one or two close to home. I know he tried to do it with Stones, but you know, young head came in and uh, a lot of pressure on his shoulders and never seemed to kind of rise to the challenge. But maybe some, as as, as Neil said, the 25, 26, 27 year olds that are floating around, 
little bit closer to home. But there is talent in, in, in relation to defence around Europe. It's just about stay away from the famous names and get the right bloody player. There's too many clubs who have these, they're playing championship manager or whatever, these director of football, getting the names, oh, he's with Liverpool, or oh, he's with Milan, he must be a top player. No. Do the homework. Is he good enough? Yes or no. And if he's not, move on. Screw the, what the fans would be like. Get the right player. You, you, you'd love to see your team scratch your head going, who is this guy? And then within a few games, you go, I get it. You know, the guys are doing their job. There's so many leagues out there. There's, there's centre-halves out there. It's, it's one of them positions. There's plenty of them out there. Go get one. And I'm not being disrespectful to the position. I'm just saying there is good enough centre-halves out there. Just go get one. You know, but don't be obsessed with the name or the club. Yeah. And I think Ben White showed that last year with Leeds and he's shown it again now with Brighton. So, yeah, they, they need to maybe not just look for the star names and maybe not look... Yeah. I mean, most players can play football. They don't have to be the, the, the expert yeah. footballer, midfielder that the, the City yeah. ranks are looking for. What they do yeah. have to deal with over in Spain are the Bruise Brothers. <laughs> Remember the Bruins brothers from uh, the, the Mighty Ducks too, was it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, El Diego Costa and Luis Suarez could end up coming uh, quite a brutal partnership. Um, obviously, Suarez came on after 70 minutes and, and got an assist in two goals and Costa got one himself. And uh, El Diego Costa was uh, on Suarez. He said, yeah, he's very good. One of us can do the fighting and the other can do the fighting. I don't understand how far it was the let us see. I, I, I don't have much else to say other than that. Like, if anyone else wants that, to it, but I just bang on the money. They they could be an awful partnership for any centre half pair in, in in European football to deal with next year or this season. Yeah, it, it definitely looks it definitely looks like a partnership that's going to run defenders ragged, and they're going to be black and blue coming <laughs> off. But <laughs> keep them on their toes, all right? He comes on, he's an assist, two goals. Neil, what's this saying about Barcelona? It, it looks it looks shaky for Barcelona. It doesn't seem to be anyone going there. There doesn't seem to be any real rumours of anyone going there. Yeah, I, I think they're in big trouble at the moment. I mean, it, it sounds like they have to sell before they can buy, right? So they got rid of Sinedo, I think it was during the week, the world, and, you know, they had a big long list of players that were willing to let go. But the Suarez situation is very interesting because it looked like he was on his way to Italy. He went over and did his exam. You have to do some language exam. You have to fit certain criteria, and then it broke down. And then he was heading back to Barca, and they were going, oh, yeah, we'll welcome him back. And he was going, no, you won't. I'm out of here. So they seem to be a real shambles of a club at the moment, and I don't really know. I don't know why anybody would go to them at the moment. They're literally, they just seem toxic. It sounds like they've basically made Messi stay, who clearly wanted to go. And even when he, you know, threw the toys out of pram and tried to kind of kick things off by saying, he wanted rid of one of the directors or ever, or the president or whatever it is. You know, it just shows how badly they've fallen. I mean, you should not be talking about any of the off-the-field stuff when you're talking about Barcelona. You should be talking about the football, the way they play, the players that they have. But realistically now, I think I think Suarez is a, is a loss to them because they don't have that kind of target, man. They don't have anyone coming in that would resemble them. Even when they used to be always linked with the top, you know, the top talent around they're not being linked with anyone of any report this year. Um, and I think Suarez had probably another year left in him. Maybe not as a 90-minute man, but I think Atletico have hit the nail in the head here and getting him in. It could be a cameo role. It could be for 60. 
why not? But I, I, I think, yeah, um, it's Barcelona's loss, absolutely. I, I wouldn't have let him go, and I wouldn't let him go in the manner that it was done, but they just seem to be off the wheels at the moment. Dave, Kante to United, I haven't heard anything about this one. I have a feeling you're making it up. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But sure, what rumour is true, to be honest. Uh, no, it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been in a few sites kind of doing the rounds today, purely because they're bored and there's nothing solid. But obviously the rumours are going out there that Kante was up for grabs at or in t- alleged rumours with Inter Milan. And going back to what we were talking about, Chelsea and round pegs and square holes and stuff like that, Kante's been never under Lampard hasn't played really in his major role which is in front of that back four and there was one moment against Liverpool last week where he was the attacking midfielder and I was quite comfortable when he had the ball because he knew what was going to happen and he got swallowed up and spat out but yeah there's a few that so none, none of the ma- massive official ones today but I just found it very interesting because if there was any truth in it it's kind of like well you're going to have to at least release one or two so I just thought it was a funny one I know there's m- many ridiculous ones and it could very well be one but um can't say if he's up for grabs. I'd be, I'd be definitely willing to to look at him if I was a if I was a top club because he still got it without a shadow of a doubt. But if United got him, I'd be, it'd be more kind of who the bloody hell. It's easy to say, oh, Matic should be gone, but there'd still be a few more considering Van de Beek came in as well. So if there was any element of truth, it'd be, it'd probably just cause more exits out of United than than anything else. Or where the bloody hell would you fit him in as well? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the Matic situation is. I I think Matic is. He's having a, he had a little Indian summer at the end of last year mm-hmm. where he had a few good games in a row, and you're kind of going, oh, maybe he's not finished. But I I I can't see him anymore getting around the pitch, and you can see him the odd time when he's close with someone, he can muscle them off, and he's decent on the ball still and all, but. He's on his last legs, and I just don't can't see if if he's in a Man United team. I can't see a Man United team doing well consistently. As I said before, with Martial playing centre forward, I don't see them doing well consistently if he's up there. So, yeah, I, I can't. They, I'd have him in all day long. It, McTominay would learn so much off him if he was there for a couple of years, because unlike Matic, Kante would still be up near his prime. Um, and we can we can go into the we we'll go into Manchester United a little bit later on about their whole thing, but I, I think there would be room for him. He did pl- play start at the, the weekend, so maybe Frank still hasn't a clue who he's playing yet. So he might not yet be gone from Chelsea. No, no. Okay, Neil, attacking teams this season like Brighton, you reckon five. Four five one is disappearing, and more of a four three three coming into the, even the lower base teams in the Premier League. Yeah, so I mean, I was even watching West Ham the other night play Wolves, and don't get me wrong, they line up with a four five one because everyone does. You play the target man. Antonio was the target man for West Ham, and then they had uh, guys attacking on the flanks when they transition into attack. But the Brighton example was a really good one because. When Brighton played Man United on the weekend, they clearly targeted the two fullbacks because Sully March was all over uh, Wan-Bissaka every time he got the ball wide uh, and dispossessed him a few times. And I think that's what led to one of the goals as well, or at least a shot off the crossbar. Um, but teams seem to be transitioning this year a little bit more, I'll call it that. Maybe not against your Liverpool City, but outside of that, I think they realise that most teams are there for the taking if you can get at them higher up the field. 
Now, it's obviously risk and reward because you're going to leave yourself a little bit more open. But Leeds are a good example. West Ham are a good example. And now Brighton are a good example of a team that are wi- are willing to you know lose a little bit in the middle in order to break down and win the ball higher up the pitch. And I think that's reflected in the, you know, the goals that are being scored as well. That There's a lot of mistakes being forced out of defenders. Anyone that likes to play out of the back, i.e. if you watch even the Arsenal game tonight, how many times have Liverpool you know, choke them in their own in their own penalty area, don't mind in their own first third of the team of or of the field. Um, but I like this because it's showing that and again Brighton being the benchmark I I looked at Conley last year playing up alongside Mope and I kinda of thought I don't know about Aaron Conley and he's bulked up and he's come back this year and they're playing him slightly left side of Mope now and that kind of attacking free with him and either Trossard seems to be causing problems. And the more goals you score, no doubt about it, the more games you're gonna win. Yeah, I think uh, Brighton probably have three at the back. It's more of a, a three-four-three, but it's still the same sentiment: push high and don't let the the opposition and be a bit more confident about your team rather than sitting back, as you probably the four-five-one uh, would suggest. We'll, we'll just stick on. Well, on even Wolves would show that as well, wouldn't they? Wolves are, are three at the back, but they again they push the three up front on top of you when they're in the attacking phase. Yeah, it just shows it as well that if you're not happy with your manager and you you, you leave my home with coronavirus, you have a great chance of winning the game. Uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope that's not in Mister Sullivan's thought process now, or poor David would be gone again. Um, with the Manchester United game, Dave, what do you reckon? Manchester United. I heard Roy Keane having a, a discussion about them today. It was on Monday Night Football. I generally agreed with what's your thoughts on, on Manchester United start so far uh, yeah the, basically just to go back a little bit on the, the formations there they, they got a hell of a lot of joy on the, on the, on the left hand side whether it be Solly March or Trosser they hit the Woodward five times um, I don't know whether is Greenwood not doing the defensive aspect and leaving kind of Wan-Bissaka kind of isolated because he's known for being his the, what his traits are more on the defensive side of, of, of being a fullback instead of the attacking side the way you would say with Liverpool and say City's fullback and um, they were there for the taking without a shadow of a doubt now their front four was their usual front four and looked very dangerous at times um, without a shadow of a doubt but you can see there's a genuine disconnect at the moment still between what they have going forward and then what they have in defence. Um, and obviously we have the famous uh, get-out-of-jail card, with the which was, ironically was a definite penalty without a shadow of a doubt to get the winner. But uh, absolutely gutting for Brighton. But um, with Ollie, the pressure's going to be on if one, he'll be blamed regardless. If, if, if other people don't come in before the deadline and, and obviously soft centre, that is our back line, Still continues. He's going to be under pressure, and unfortunately, he'll be the ball guy. Um, I'm not going to make any false statements. You grab the three points and run, and say, "Yeah, we nicked that," and let's see what happens again uh, next week. But not very good early signs. Backline still looks at sixes and sevens at times. Is it down to the over attack mindedness of the front four potentially? Because, like I said, Van Bissaka looked incredibly um, exposed and open on that left hand side for pretty much the last hour of the game once Brighton started slowly coming into it. Yeah. What about when you look at Manchester United and compare them to Liverpool? Did just Can you compare the differences between the two? Uh, back line, simple as that. 
Um, massive, massive difference. The midfield three, we work ten times harder. Like you can pretend all you want. Uh, we can try and look at skills, and just, we're just a much harder working team. Um, yeah. Fernandez, for all his skills, it, I don't think he works as hard as people think. I think the front four very much enjoy the luxuries of going forward, but don't really help. Obviously, Ogba's the same. Matic is on his own, but I don't think he has the legs. So that's why you have Brighton putting that much pressure on them in the last half an hour of the game, regardless of looking at... I think the biggest thing, obviously, is defence. Defence and goalkeeper is still so shaky, so brittle, um, seriously lacking in confidence. But just sheer effort uh, off the ball is, is seriously lacking, I still think. They don't intimidate me at all if, if we were on the ball. I just don't see them pressing the way you see a lot of teams doing it at the moment. So hard work and then a very low in confidence, brittle uh, back line. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. It's, it's, and I think Bruno Fernandes implied that at the end of the game when he had his uh, interview after the match that we didn't work hard, we didn't really press. A bit yeah. like uh, Jose Mourinho said, the lazy press. It's, it's, they're not really doing it. They're kind of half-heartedly doing it. I do think that the problems coming down from Wan-Bissaka's side is partly to do with Greenwood, partly to do with Pogba on that side where I don't think it's the areas are getting closed off quick enough. I think Matic, again, as I said, looks sluggish getting towards players so he nearly lets them come to him. Uh, I don't. I didn't think Rashford was okay. As in, he was good going forward, but I didn't. Again, it's depressing. And I think Ollie Solskjaer and Neil talked about, well, we're not quite up to speed just yet. But when are Manchester United going to be up to speed? Is this not just again, just looking for an excuse where every other team are up to it? Liverpool are up to it. Uh, Aston Villa are up to it. You know. Why Why would Manchester United not be ready? Why is he using this as an excuse? Yeah, I, I don't buy that either. I mean, look, I don't think it's that got to do with a pre-season or delayed pre-season or anything else like it. I mean, Man City had a delayed pre-season. They came out against Wolves there last week and literally tore them a new one over 45 minutes. It was so impressive. So there's no reason why Manchester United can't repeat something like that for at least one half. But I do believe with United, their biggest problem at the moment is that I I, st- I still think they're setting themselves up to hit on the break or hitting the counter, even against the likes of Brighton, whether they don't trust their back line and they're sitting that little bit deeper or whether they just think their best method of scoring is through the pace of Rashford or Greenwood or one of them, that they kind of know they're eventually going to create something. But what I find very interesting about United, and you're saying there the difference between Liverpool and United, I think it's Liverpool's back four, not even as defenders, they're just better on the ball. They're better retaining the ball. Teams drop off them because they fear the Liverpool front three, so they don't press onto them the way, say, Brighton did. Um, and I don't think through Matic, through Pogba and Fernandez, they're good enough at retaining the ball around the middle and kind of making more of an influence on the game. I think they get, I think they turn possession too much. I think Pogba's a huge problem with this because in a deep-line role, and again, you talk about targeting Wan-Bissaka. When Pogba got on the ball, Adam Milana was all over him within seconds because they feel he'll turn over possession. Whereas the Liverpool mid-three, look at Genie and Alden, for example. He will work to death. You will not dispossess him. He very, very hits a loose pass. He's just solid. And whereas they're not, you know, maybe uh, Kieda might give you a little bit more going forward, a little bit more skill. 
they very, very rarely, I don't know what the stats are, but they don't ever seem to really give away cheap possession. Whereas Matic is a holding mid. Pogba has to be the guy that should be your star. He should be your playmaker. He should be untouchable on the field. He can be for France at times. We know how good he is. But he doesn't ever produce it. And I think, you know, Dave hit the nail on the head there as well over the walk rate. You don't ever see Pogba forced to go over 70 yards to make a challenge or to cut down space or to do the the bad sides of the game as in when you're not going forward. And maybe Fernandez with that as well. I thought with Fernandez they were going to get a guy that was going to be more of a playmaker, a lot more would go through him. But the only thing I'm seeing with him now is, and it's not a bad thing, he released Rashford there. That's what you should be seeing in the final third is, you know, nice bit of interplay, ball into Fernandez, and then he unlocks the defence. Well, Man United's defenders, I don't think, allowed them to set that base because they're just not comfortable enough on the ball. Dave, just going to finish and wrap that one up now. Manchester United had Pogba. He was their attacking midfielder, if you want to call it that. They brought in Bruno Fernandes. He is now their attacking midfielder. They brought in uh, Van de Beek now, an attacking midfielder. A bit like Chelsea. I asked about Chelsea. Do they know what positions? Do they know the best team? It looks like me for the midfield. He He's kind of saying to me, Bruno Fernandes is our attacking midfielder, I'm just trying to fit Pogba, the merchandise man, into the midfield there somewhere. Correct. Um, it looked like his interest was peaked um, in the run-in to the second part of last season, obviously, with, between him and Fernandez and going forward and the rich vein of form that, you know, it looked like his interest was peaked and you were going to get the Pogba that has Neil to do with it. It's there. But now it looks like the old Pogba that was frustrating everyone um, is coming back. Um, but maybe it's because he knows it as well. Maybe he knows that um, he's not really the main man or he's not really overly wanted and is playing according. And that doesn't mean that's not that's not good enough. But maybe that's where the performances are coming from. As, as Neil said, he gives the ball away far too cheaply considering his array of passes at times is as good as anyone when, when, when he's up for it. You know? And that's the problem with Pogba. I think he's a bit moody, like what we talked about Zaha last week. Zaha can be a war beater when he wants to be and when he's in the right frame of mind. Well, with Pogba, yeah, the ego is bruised maybe potentially. And then with Van Der Beek coming in, he's obviously going to force his way in at some point. And Solskjaer is obviously going to want him to come in at some point to really see what he's got. So, yeah, he's under pressure. But then again, as you said, he's a bit of a cash cow. They don't want to get rid of him. So are you just playing him for the sake of it? That's not what United are about. If he's not good enough, you get rid of him. Good luck, you know. But at the moment, that's where United are at the minute, unfortunately. Sheffield United, Neil, shown unbelievable football last year. The football is actually not too bad. I was watching them against Leeds the other day. They played good football, but all of a sudden now they can't get a win under their belt. They can't even get a goal under their belt. It's a second season syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, uh, listen, most of what they did last season was done from the safe zone. They knew they had the 40 points. They were kind of playing. It's almost like shot to nothing football, really, isn't it? You go out and you play. They were digging out one mils left and right. They're clean sheets. They're missing their centre-halves at the moment now. I know they're both out injured, or one of them is definitely out injured long-term. Um, and they're leaking the odd goal now. They're not scoring down the other end. They're a kind of a... They're definitely in a rut. And starting off the way they have now, it's not going to make life easy for them because... You know, it's a, it's an absolute contrast to where they were, where, they, again, the expectation was finished nearly at Christmas last year. They were that high up and they were flying free. 
Whereas now, if you if that continues on for another game or two, and it's even that short a timeline, I expect to see them really struggle, and then you're going to get an idea of what they're really made of. Um, I, I worry about them a little bit. I don't think they added a whole lot. Um, even the fact that say like David McGoldrick, and we watch him for Ireland as well. He's not a goal scorer. He's a, he brings others into play, etc. But I worry that they don't have enough goals in them. And as we're saying there, most of the teams now that seem to be more attacking. There's goals in every other team, or at least there seems to be a hell of a lot more goals in every other team than there is in Sheffield United. But I'd be worried if I were them. Yeah, I absolutely, totally agree with you. It was the first thing that I thought after that game that I watched at the weekend. They need someone who can create something out of nothing and, and, and nick them a goal. And David, we probably have a little bit of egg on our face or in some way because Patrick Bamford just keeps doing it. Oh, would you stop? Um, would you, would, you, would you take him in a green jersey in, 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 uh, for Ireland, would you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very stubborn man. I would. I've got him I've no problem. He can come on in. Um, yeah, 100%. Uh, fair play to him. And he's keeping Rodrigo out, obviously, which uh, would have been a big move for, for, for Leeds. Um, don't know, he does a fine job off the ball. You know, defensively, he is a Bielsa type player, or at the very least, he's turned into a Bielsa type player. He doesn't stop him. Credit where credit's due. I mean, he's been interviewed in the last couple of games, obviously, for being a goal scorer and being kind of main man of the match. He's bloody knackered. And there's no, like, any fan wants to see your players coming off after giving it everything. That's something that I don't think any of us can have an argument about. Bamford just puts it all out there and gives the socks and credit where credit's due for the last couple of weeks. And um, good luck to him and good luck to Leeds. It was actually up until the goal. It was actually one of the most entertaining nil-all draws uh, potentially it was going to be. But um, just a quick one to jump back to, to Sheffield United. They're dead right about the lack of goals. Like Billy Sharp, he's done. Uh, David McGoldrick and just uh, even saying his name pissing me off Ollie McBurney I don't get it I just don't get it <laughs> I don't get it and that's all I'm giving him Ollie McBurney I'll give you his name that's it moving on tonight's game Liverpool against Arsenal a, a quite interesting encounter and as you were dying to get in there earlier on on three or four occasions <laughs> uh, talking about the great pressing I don't even know if I suggested it about Liverpool but anyhow they got in there and they snuck in so we'll give them a little bit of time uh, they, they actually did they pressed really really well they pressed up high and they did it with a cohesion that, that they everyone knows what they're doing they know where they want that ball to go they have a, a, pl- a plan ready made but for me Arsenal if you pick David Luiz in the centre of your defence when you have Gabriel who has played well since he, he came back it's all, you're almost starting on a loser I, I'm not sure why Mayland Niles was playing on the left side of midfield or the wing back position he disjointed the whole team um, Tierney over and over again had to go out and play on nearly left full which left two in the centre instead of your three uh, and Bellerin wasn't getting back in time. So I thought they were just a bit bit disjointed and I thought there was a couple of selections there that Arsenal probably, if, if they hadn't had them, maybe would have had a better chance. But Dave, Liverpool are just strong at the moment and Jota came on and he's going to help. Yeah, like he'd done a sub's job. He was everywhere. Like He was lively and was involved and I, I'd love to see what kind of a Obviously, the fact that he got a goal, it might be a little bit of a, 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 a more in jest 
But uh, if out of a two one or worse two all, I'd uh, I'd I'd have done a right keen and pulled Salah across the dressing room and knocked him out for robbing the ball off him in the box. <laughs> but um, but no, he done his job. He came on and looked effective. And uh, another one of these players where you can it potentially it looks like another job well done from from the powers that be to bring him in. He he could cause problems for that front three, or at the very least, be he give them a bit of respite in certain games and obviously that's where he's been brought in and potentially if we're going to cash in on one of them for another bit of a build next season he can slot in and take take over from them but listen Arsenal played right into Liverpool's hands it was, they were trying to play a very high risk high reward game if we can play ourselves out of this we can get the three speed markings against maybe two Liverpool defenders if we can play out of it um, and I think they got a, I think they got through maybe once maybe twice at best but Liverpool on another night, could have and should have punished them on one or two occasions. After a 20 minutes, half an hour, personally, you rip up the rule book and go again because it was clearly not working. I know, fair enough, Lacazette had one chance where he should have put it away and then the other one was offside. But they had a little five, 10 minute spell where it looked like they were getting back into the game. But then Liverpool kind of went up a notch again. Liverpool are just in this groove at the moment, which is a refreshing for me as a fan. They're just in that groove where they just, they know what to do. And as you said, in, in, in the pressing side of things, it's it's just it's flawless. It's it's a year or two in the making compared to other teams. They just have it to a T. And uh, it, it was instead of it being outstanding, it was another job well done. Take three points onto the next one. Neil, if there's anything that other teams uh, supporters can cling on to and absolute desperate hope, it's that Liverpool seem to be just getting a little bit complacent and a little bit sloppy in the back line. Yeah, I think so. I, I think. Um... Arsenal did it tonight well when they the chance of Lacazette. That's the one I think teams are be not necessarily sus Liverpool now, but the the one area where they're playing the very, very high line. And again, we're talking about risk and award here, right? Liverpool play the high line because it allows them to press higher and allows them to press their front three higher than any other front three. The downside is um and a couple of teams have gone in, Leeds got in, caused us uh, problems on day one. Uh, and Arsenal did it tonight when they picked out Lacazette. It's when you bypass the fr- the first or second press and you just deliver a ball in behind. Um, for anyone that actually watched the uh, Spurs versus Southampton there last week, it was a carbon copy of that where Spurs dinged five balls in behind. Paddy Kane did. And Son ran on to five and just, it was in on goal straight away. Liverpool have a little aspect of that when they're not all in sync. So if I was to have one worry against maybe the better team that uh, well, in all fairness, the Arsenal should be one of the better teams. Like Lacazette should have scored anyway, but that would be the one area that would be their best chance of getting in there. So say maybe the likes of a Leicester with a Vardy, um, or even tonight it should have been an Arsenal with Lacazette. You should have had an extra goal at least, and it's that true ball in behind, split the centre half or centre half from full back, and uh, yeah, leaves them a little bit susceptible. But um, I think you were saying there when they get a little bit complacent, when Liverpool are a hundred percent full on and they're 100% on the front foot, you know, you get very, very few of them chances. But when they seem to drop it to the 95s, 90%, as we've seen at the end of last year, obviously when the league was wrapped up, they get caught out quite a lot with that same ball. So maybe that's something that, you know, A, Liverpool need to brush up on, and B, opposition teams will definitely be latching onto. Yeah, I'm just going to switch, because I asked Dave this last week, Everton, and as I said, uh, potential league winners here, Everton, they have uh, 
they've started off unbelievably well, but the, the players they've bought in have made them very, very strong. And even Ancelotti praising Coleman, talking about him in the likes of Maldini and Ramos and being one of the, the best uh, captains and defenders that, uh, that has played underneath them. He obviously has that feel-good factor around there. I have massive respect for Ancelotti. I think he's class act. I, I look at what he did at Napoli there. Um, I remember like Liverpool met Napoli over a couple of seasons in the Champions League and whatnot, and they're an absolute nightmare to play against. Everybody is singing off the same hymn sheet. They go at you, hammer and tongs. Really physical, really aggressive. They get in your face. Uh, maybe on one or two games, they out Liverpool, Liverpool's midfield, which is a fair accolade for them that they uh, they ended up overpowering the midfield at times. Um, and they got good results in Liverpool as well. So that's kind of the highest regard I can hold them. But uh, I think Ancelotti's no fool. I think he brought in some really good signings. I think the biggest thing with Everton is their mentality. And again, the best managers can change the mentality of players. And I think that Ancelotti is absolutely bang on. If you're sitting in the dressing room and Ancelotti's telling you you're world class and you're Maldini, you're not going to go, yeah, right, you're blowing smoke, you're saying, you're damn right I am. And it must just make you a foot taller. And it's evident this year. He's, he's had them for a few months. He identified one or two key areas. Um, I'd say even the uh, the attack at the moment um, is probably the, the, the most pleasing thing. The likes of Richarlison in there. Calvert-Lewin, who I have to say I would not have rated at all last year. Uh, wouldn't be his fan. And he's come out of the blocks. He's playing between the penalty area. He's not going out wide and getting frustrated. And he's absolutely repaying the manager's uh, faith in him. So, yeah, I, I think he's a top appointment and a type of guy that will make him a better team. Now, again, not getting carried away. Top six would be great for Everton, but um, they're going in the right direction under Ancelotti. Yeah, and the Merseyside Derby on the weekend of the 17th of October. So only around the corner, it'd be a very interesting game. Dave, just to finish off on Everton, one of the, the weak points that people have been talking about, a lot of people have been talking about over the last couple of years, and whether, well, you can tell me if it's fair or unjust, uh, Jordan Pickford always seems to come into the limelight when he makes mistakes, uh, kind of along the lines of David James, he gets absolutely hammered. Uh, probably when he pulls off worldies, he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. Where where does he stand on, on your goalkeepers, the top 20, I suppose, in, in the English Premiership? And, you know, even with the, he's England number one, is he England number one? Uh, the last few years, he could be England's number one the way Joe Hart was because there isn't that many others. Um, whatever about the game at the weekend, it was the midweek game and the League Cup game, the second goal, he was absolutely awful. Um, and it was his mistake all day long. Um, another game, a Premier League game, we'd all be talking about it, we'd all be giving it both barrels, but they got away with it because it was a Cup game and it wasn't as prominent against Fleetwood. But he was shocking. He does this big jump uh, for no bizarre reason if he ever just stood still, did a slap and it went in. It was an OG in my opinion. But, he makes mistakes and he makes consistent mistakes because, I don't know, I think I find he's a bit too hyper for his own good and he tries to get ahead of, he tries to read some of the shots, which a lot of keepers tend to do, but I don't be comfortable with him. Uh, he's a bit, he's he's in the same bracket in my opinion as Thomas Kepa and De Gea. Um, the, he still shows signs of what he can, and can do, or can do, but unfortunately he shows a bit too much of what you don't want to see with your goalkeepers. Um, 
he tries to grab headlines I think when they, he doesn't need to just do your job keep it simple um, but I think he wants a bit of limelight he wants to be out there you can see him when he's with penalties trying to be all loud and there you know, but I think he wants to be kind of the main man and out there and loud and brash you know be a goalkeeper and in a, I don't mean in a disrespectful way but be forgetful almost because the only way you tend to remember most keepers is through the mistakes obviously there is great keepers out there but that's my opinion of him in middle of the road at best I'll give him but uh, I've never mm-hmm. been his biggest fan England haven't had a world class goalkeeper yeah. since Peter Shilton yeah, in a nutshell. And that's, oh, and, that's, and that's Peter Shelton in the early 80s. He was shocking in 1990. Have you ever looked at the penalties against Germany? And they were saying that the, the, the shots were in the bottom corner and there's no way he had a chance. He could barely lift himself off the ground. I thought he was way past the sell by a day. And I think that's... Yeah. They'd still love them the then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just it, it felt like an over thirty five keeper, didn't it? You know that sort of way. So. We're, we're bitching about keepers from thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always been there. That one annoyed me. Um, okay, we'll finish. We'll finish off. I know there was other games. But we're going to finish off with uh, because Liverpool, in my eyes, are outright favourites they were at the start of the season for me they're even more so now they've got the right players in Jota and they've got Thiago so for me that they're 100% favourites they're the ones that have to be beaten and everyone's talking about Manchester City that they will re- rebound from last year and then they go and get hammered 5-2 by Leicester and they looked very very mediocre and Leicester really ripped through them so Dave, what's where 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 do Manchester City go from where they are now? What are they? Because they, they they're losing. There's no press like they used to press. There's no there's no zip about them. De Bruyne, you can nearly see him getting tired of it. So what 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 are Man City about? And and do you think they actually can compete, or is someone else going to take over that sort of second place situation and challenge Liverpool? Um. For everyone else and for neutrals, that is the scary thing. Who is going to put it up to Liverpool? Because pretty much you hit the nail on the head. I noticed in the last 15 minutes, De Bruyne was getting very frustrated. Certain time, I can't remember who the player was, um, but they went on a run that they just they were going down a blind alley through the middle. And he should have laid it off and he lost the ball and they fell over. And you could see him kind of throwing his hands against his legs in frustration. And he'd done it a few times even last season. Rodri was bitching after the game that oh, Leicester only came to step back and all that. And I was like, it's a bit cheeky considering they put five past you. Um, and then obviously they, they, they're, they're still so vulnerable at the back. Um, and obviously they know they have to start strong because Liverpool are obviously looking like they're going to have a similarly strong start. They could be in their shadow very early on and the pressure could be on Pep as well, regardless of um, who's going to challenge Liverpool if he keeps this up because if uh, he doesn't start strong in the Champions League he, he could be in serious trouble but um, Rogers made a great point as soon as the game was over because uh, he jumped in and said you've seen them last week against Wolves they were definitely up to speed in other words we bet a top city you can't give me a bullshit question that they're still only coming back in the whole lot and uh, in fairness I think he has a point because they did look very strong against Wolves but um, credit to Leicester as well I suppose to an extent yesterday Thielemans seemed to really be up for the fight with De Bruyne and it could have been a mixture of De Bruyne 
fallen out of it. Maybe he didn't want to be, maybe he wasn't up for it. He, he just wanted to do the pretty things, you know? So, yeah, there's definitely a few cracks, and uh, who's to say, who's to say uh, they are going to be the, the challenger? I don't think the Bruyne has the fight in him, uh, Neil. Do you know that? Well, do you know what, Dave? I had uh, I wrote the article on on the weekend, so I was writing yeah. the match report live, reading and watching, yeah? And I put down the headline after about 28 minutes, the Bruyne of brilliance, right? And I began to write in, oh, the Bruyne is after making a cross, and he crossed for Roger, and it wasn't a goal, and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, Leicester made one break, City went back about 50 yards, and yeah. then they made another break and scored. And from that point forward, City were a broken team. Tielemans went after team. him for one of the games. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, and you see the slow mo. He really goes at him. Like, John, when teammates playing against each other from the national team, and it really, he was comfortable with him, and it went at him. And De Bruyne stood back and looked up as if they heard the you be pushing and pulling me. And he's like, fuck yeah. off. Who, who and then he playing inside with as well. Who was he? Uh, uh, Tielemans. Who was he partnered uh, with? It wasn't him. Right, but if you listen to the body language and if you sorry if you watch the body language and you listen to Pep even after the game his words were like uh, fearful and you know it, it was unusual that he literally just kind of went yeah listen we weren't at the races at all and we were I, I'd almost worry about our mentality you know that way and that's that's and very interesting that he's playing the mentality after what three games of the season, you know, or two games for that. And the season's only starting. It looks like they just it looks like they don't fancy it. Yeah, well, I tell you another thing as well. By the end of it, they were an absolute mess because Mares was playing in behind the striker. The striker was uh, the young lad the lap. Um, yeah, where's Bernardo Silva? Is he injured or is he? I don't know. Uh, I, t- I know he was on the bench uh, last week, as far as I can remember. So I really yeah. don't know. I, I presume well, it's that's an interesting one because last year when they were on the full press, you had Silva, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, if he wasn't in the back line, and Bernardo Silva used to press like a monster. I um, mean, the press. And they're, and they're missing that now as well. It's like they don't, because Mares was never one for the press either. You know what I mean? That's why he was there with favour with the likes of Sterling getting in ahead of him. Um, that's why they let Sané go because he wasn't a, a, a pressing guy either. But I, I just, I just don't know if anyone is willing to roll up the sleeves and walk as hard as Liverpool. And yeah. I, it's as simple as that at the moment. But do you think that <laughs> uh, Guardiola, if if it doesn't work out for him this year, do you think that's it? Ooh. Where do you go next? I was thinking about this, Neil. Where would he go to next? There's probably only one potential job. And that's Paris because I don't think he'd want to touch Barcelona. Obviously, he probably wouldn't go to Real Madrid. He's been to Italy. Italy, I don't think it would 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 uh, would deal for him to be honest. Uh, and now he's been in England, so I think it's only really Paris left. If I don't know, that's a bit weird saying there's only one club. But I thought, like, where would he go? Or I'm not saying he's definitely going to stay, but there's not many options. I don't think for, for Guardiola. Yeah, are not enough clubs that will buy the type of players yeah. that he wants or the volume of player until he gets it right. Yeah. So he's not going to Burnley. Okay, we've clarified that. 
<laughs> okay. Go to the Italian league. Who knows? Uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, Juventus might snap them up, wouldn't they? That, that might be the last one there, just to try and get the. the they're desperate for a Champions League as well. Just like City, just like Bayern Munich, and uh, it didn't work out from there. Um, okay, listen, we're going to leave it at that. Neil, thanks very much. Uh, have a look at thebitkickoff.com and look for Neil Dobbs' stuff there. Really good stuff. David Bugle, we'll talk to you again next week, Dave. And uh, we'll see you then. <laughs>